Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program dedicated to creating conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day, uh, a conversation that brings state leaders to you talking about uh, education issues. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this morning. Today, uh, we will not be taking phone calls directly, uh, but we will have our chat room open if you want to send me a, a question that I can pass on to our um uh, uh, guest, uh, so that uh, and I'll get into our guest in two seconds. Uh, you know, government entities like school boards or any government entity have to, when they act, the public needs to have a perception that they are acting in the best interest of whatever they're standing for. Uh, like a school board is for the best interest of the school district. Uh, so in New Jersey, we have something called the School Ethics Commission, which kind of makes decisions on what a conflict of interest is. Uh, today, uh, in recent years, they have, uh, uh, recent months, they have made some uh, advisory opinions, which will explain what that is, which have kind of changed the landscape a little bit for school board members as to where they can participate and when they can participate. I am really uh, glad to have with us uh, two members of the School Ethics Commission. First, the chair, uh, Robert Bender. Uh, can I call you Bob? Sure, right. Thank you. Okay. And welcome. Uh, we also have Mark Finkelstein, a longtime member of the School Ethics Commission. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Ray. Good morning. And, and we also have um, Joanne Restivo, the Acting Executive Director. Welcome, Joanne. Good morning, Ray. Thank you. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, before we get into some of the, the advisory opinions, uh, just give us an overview uh, of what the School Ethics Commission is. Uh, Bob, are you going to take that one? Yeah, I will, Ray. Uh, the School Ethics Commission is a, a nine-member body with the uh, power to issue advisory opinions, uh, receive complaints, uh, receive and retain disclosure statements, conduct investigations, uh, we hold hearings, and compel the attendance of witnesses and the production of documents as it may deem necessary to enforce the School Ethics Act. Uh, the members of the commission are appointed by and serve at the pleasure of the governor. Uh, commission uh, was established by the New Jersey Department of Education, uh, and it holds this meeting every every month on the fourth Tuesday, except for the uh, December meeting. Um, this commission has been in operation since uh, June of 1992. That was our, our first uh, meeting, and um, uh, we've been in operation, you know, since that period of time. Um, the uh, members of the School Ethics Commission are appointed by and, and like I say, serve at the pleasure of the governor. Uh, not more than five commission members are uh, from the same political party. Two must be school board members, two must be school administrators, and five must be uh, persons who are not school officials. So that, that's kind of the, the, uh, the complement of that. Um, and they are volunteers, and uh, they are not compensated. So that's, that's and, basically the commission. Right. And also, we'll be talking about the advisory opinion. Uh, let's just explain briefly what an advisory opinion is, because it, it is a, a, good, a pretty good service that the uh, commission uh, provides. Well, um, basically, advisory opinion, uh, uh, they, uh, only school officials may request and obtain an advisory opinion from the commission. So you have to be a school official. 
they may request a, an advisory opinion regarding uh, his or her own uh, prospective conduct. Um, uh, can a school official request an advisory opinion regarding conduct of another school official? Yes, the answer is, certainly is, is true. Um, and this is in the same district in which they serve. Uh, school official may seek advisory uh, opinion from the commission as to proposed conduct uh, of another school official. However, he or she must show the commission that they have copied the uh, school official who proposed uh, conduct is the subject of the request. Uh, the school official whose conduct is in question will have then 10 days from the date of the advisory opinion to respond. So it's very important that they know, uh, let the other uh, people know that they are requesting this uh, advisory. They should not be blindsided. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of advice? Um, any school official may request an advisory opinion as to whether any proposed conduct or activity of a school official would be in the commission's opinion uh, would constitute a violation of the act. Uh, um, how they go about uh, obtaining an advisory opinion? Well, any school official may be questioned by advisory opinion by writing a letter to the School Ethics Commission here at the Department of Education, and they should set forth the position of the school official, the nature of the prospective conduct that the school official proposes to undertake, and all relevant facts. Um, that basically is the, the, the process for the um, advisories. All right, and uh, I should uh, make a note, two notes. May, One, may, I, may I add yes, something? Yeah, may I add something to that? Uh, advisory opinions deal with prospective, things that will happen in the future only. So right. anything that happened in the past is not reviewable by the commission. It can be as a complaint, but certainly not <clears throat> as an advisory uh, opinion. And also, time is of the essence. So very often we get requests where the prospective activity is uh, two weeks away, which is not sufficient time for the commission to hear it and decide it. So the timetable is, if you know that you're going to have this uh, request, send it to us two weeks before our next meeting. And our meetings are published on our website. Our meeting dates are, uh, are the fourth Tuesday of every month, except for Christmas week, which is the third Tuesday of the month, and uh, and um, two weeks before the, any of those dates, submit your request. The commission will review it at its next meeting two weeks later, and then a month later from that, you will have uh, their, their advice. But it does take that long because the commission only meets once a month. Okay. Uh, I should also note, uh, previous advisory opinions are all on the website, too, so for someone thinks they might have a conflict, they might be able to do some research on their own. Oh, absolutely. Is that correct? In fact, that's what they should do first. Before even writing to us, they should take a look at what's on the web. And and we have uh, we have set it out so that the subject, the subject matter is divided into seven groups. So they don't have to read all of them, just the ones that actually pertain to their particular subject area. Okay. Uh, hey, Ray. Yes, Mark. I just wanted to add, you know, every board has their own attorney. Most attorneys, of course, that attend their board meetings. Mm -hmm. Just a reminder for everyone, uh, after they go to the website, after they review advisory opinions, uh, to consult, strongly suggest that they consult with their board attorneys 
right. prior to submitting an advisory opinion. I'm not certain that happens in all instances. Okay. Well, and that's usually NGSBA's advice when you have a question on this. That, that you have a board attorney, and that's what they're there for. Uh, let's just go through, some, you know, and just for the people who are listening, uh, the idea here uh, is to kind of give clarity to these issues because sometimes we've had these recent advisory opinions, and I guess we should also note the reason they were just released is they have a uh, divide by statute they can only release advisory opinions uh, if with vote of six, and then you've been working a as a body of five for a good number of years. So now that you have that, that's why these were released. It wasn't that you made all these decisions in the last five or six weeks. Uh, one of the areas that I've been hearing a lot of uh, issues about is the volunteering. Uh, because, you know, our school districts kind of live on volunteers, particularly in the elementary level. Uh, you had one ruling, uh, A813, uh, and if I'm reading that correctly, this is where a person, a board member, had a, uh, I'm not sure if it was a tutoring or some type of private business, they volunteered at the board level. Explain your little bit ruling there that there was a, you thought there would be a, a, a violation there. Well, and, and AO, you're referring to the advisory opinion on 0813, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, in, in that case, of course, you had a board member who had a private business who was leaving their business cards in the classrooms mm -hmm. of where the students were located. So the, the bottom line on that is while the board member at that time uh, indicated uh, that they were not soliciting business, the real concern there is um, – does the board member have a direct financial or indirect financial involvement uh, that could reasonably impair the individual's objectivity or independence when making a judgment call on vendors in the future? Uh, you know, in my mind, that is so clear. Um, I personally uh, dealt with board members in a similar situation who have completely had to recuse themselves from that process. So in that instance, it, it could have been direct personal gain for, for the board member. Well, sure. Here's the thing. This person, although wanted to offer offer their advice, offer their services free of charge to the district, there is some indirect benefit of of repeat oh, yeah. business coming to them, mm -hmm. and word of mouth and oh, yeah. referrals. So there's a personal, the you know, let's let's start. With, with the basis, as you mentioned in the beginning, public trust and confidence in the school board is, is paramount. Anytime this commission looks at an issue, whether it's by a case or by uh, advisory opinion request, and that is what drives this commission. How is it going to appear to the public? Are we going to lose the public trust if we do this? And, okay. and so that's, that's really the, the very foundation of any of these advices and advisory opinion, uh, opinions or decisions that they make. Right. Uh, you know, another thing that's real important is that everything is fact-sensitive to that specific case. And right. what uh, might be read in saying, well, geez, why can't this person who has expertise to share this and so on, you know, doesn't this benefit the student? Well, you know, globally, you might say, well, hey, that, that's, that's the case. But if you look 
at some of the, the information that we, we have uh, that would not be specific, uh, maybe in that, in that uh, uh, overall knowledge to the public, we have to look specifically at uh, these, these issues. So it is fact sensitive, and, it, and some uh, might be uh, very clear, others might not be. You know, Ray, on the surface, when, when we talk about the term volunteerism, mm-hmm. it, it, it sounds so positive. And, and it sounds like something that should be inher- uh, encouraged in all instances. Um, while that may be the case in theory, the reality is, as Bob and Joanne have indicated, you have to take it, uh, a look at each case individually because it is important once you become a board member how the public views you. Uh, the perception changes toward an individual once they become a board member, uh, and in particular, uh, once you become a board member and you may be a parent, no matter what you say, you're not certain from that point forward whether the member of the public views you with a hat on as a board member or as a parent. Um, and, and I'll give you an example, and, and you, you cite one of the cases you cite that we're going to be discussing today is A3214. The school play, yeah. You know that that's a the write up on that uh, is is right on point. It's the commission's view that the official seeks to participate in school activities from which he would be prohibited as a board member by simply renaming the position a volunteer. You know that that's the gist of of what we're talking about. Case in point, you know we all have board policies that clearly indicate. Uh, before board members uh, can enter one of our schools, uh, they they have to be cleared uh, through the superintendent of schools. If such a policy doesn't exist, it should exist. I can tell you that firsthand. As a volunteer, that no longer is the case. You have direct as- access to your schools that you would not have uh, as a board member. I mean, that's just one example of of how you can circumvent the board member role by taking on another title. That is not the way schools should operate. Now, uh, Mark, well, anyone, you referred to 3214 where the board member, and now there's a couple of caveats there. The board member's spouse was also the director of the play, and it seemed in my reading of it that uh, as you looked at it, the, this was more than just volunteering, this, that they had a little bit more, uh, they might be directing staff and or students or other parents uh, was that the concern in that situation with the volunteering on the pl- play? Uh, I'm sorry, I missed the first part of that. Are you saying but, that because of the spouse was 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 the um, director of the play? Was that the prime mover for the? Yeah, or was it the, the situation that the, the as a volunteer in this situation, it appeared that the the, the board member may be directing staff, other t- staff members or uh, students. Was it just too heavy an involvement? It's the latter. And okay. Mark is going to speak about that. Yeah, I mean, the the question is, do school personnel, in this case specifically, do school personnel have authority over a board member? I mean, that really gets to the heart of of A32, what was it, A3214. Right. In this case, you have a volunteer board member, 
who is reporting not only to an employee of the district, but that individual just happens to be the person's spouse as well. I mean, there's no question that 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 the the whole issue of authority and who's in charge and who's making decisions comes into play here. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to be placed in that position uh, to have to start making decisions. Uh, a good situation. I would, as, um, uh, if a board member is a parent, and obviously, probably, well, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but it's probably a majority. Uh, we're either a parent, our parents now were, were at one time. What about like if they want to do Dr. Seuss Day or chaperone a field trip, oh, uh, I think. or be a band parent and work the the concession stand? It's a far the, the scenarios that you're describing, Ray, are are at the opposite end of the spectrum from what we're talking about okay, in eight thirty two fourteen. There's a difference between a parent volunteering to be a chaperone on a field trip versus being in the schools on a day-to-day basis and having day-to-day interaction with staff and students. Okay, so, all right, so it's the right. this is part of the reason we're doing this so we have clarity. So those things where parents are involved and the, the parent can be a board member too, that seems to be okay. They can go to the school play and but they just can't be, from your perspective, they can't be too hands-on in terms of being there every single day for four or five weeks. Um, are you talking about attending a school play? Yeah, well, no, but they can volunteer to work the concession stand, I would assume, you know, if, if they're, or something smaller on that level. Well, you need to, the, the parent needs to ask the questions of themselves uh about the activity that they're about to undertake. Are they going to have authority over school funds? Are they going to have authority over school personnel? Is school personnel going to have authority over them? And and is this a school operation? Is it an outside operation? Uh, so those questions need to be looked at by the person who's actually doing the, the activity. And, and that's going to really result in in the conclusion of I'm too involved or this is just a one-time deal, reading a book, uh, going to um, a party at the school, a year-end party. You're a guest. You're not really involved in anything. No one wants to take away those rights from a parent. But if you're going to be involved now and start running things. Decision-making. Decision-making. That's not the role of a board member. Decision-making, direction, those type of things, Kate, take it a little bit further. And, and Ray, when we get these advisories, uh, again, where I, I have to say it, it is fact-sensitive. Sometimes right. they, you know, they, it's really, you don't want to stifle enthusiasm for schools. At the same time, when you're wearing a hat, which is a school board member, which is a trustee of that district, you, you uh, are in a, a different role. Well, that, that's the okay. key. That's the key to this, Ray. Any board member needs to know their role. And and I know school board spends an awful lot of time training new board members in this regard. And uh, the reason your training is so important is because we can't have board members who go into those positions with an agenda. All right. Let's, uh, 
okay, uh, we can stay on this one for a long time, but let's move on to some other issues, uh, like in personnel matters. Is it, is it, do you think the position is clear now? Do you have any other questions with regard to volunteerism? Well, I think you, you I, I think it's it's always been a balance between a parent being a parent and a board member. It's never been easy. Like when you have your uh, parent teacher conference, we always would train people to say you're not a board member at that in that meeting. You're a parent discussing your child's education. So it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you're volunteering in a major, uh, say you're doing a well, they don't usually do school funds, but what about funds for like the PTA or something like that? If you, can you still be a PTA leader or a volunteer? The commission has not looked at that yet. If that could be the subject of another advisory opinion. The commission, both Bob and Mark will tell you that they cannot speak for the commission at this point. No, I know. So that's, that's why I'm tricky. I don't want to Yeah, ask, Yeah, we can't do I, the I can't what get if. my own advisory opinion. Uh, <laughs> Well, just uh, like a school board member, that they their power basically is when they meet together as a board, and we're basically the same same uh, concept. Is that, you know, we we uh, make decisions all as a group, and uh, uh, and we really don't have the specific power to tell them how the uh, body would uh, vote on particular issues. Right. Okay. So. Uh, from your perspective, and we'll end on this because we do have a lot of other issues. Uh, it, in that case specific, the board member had a relative who was a teacher. Also, was a, I think it, if I'm correct, was a former staff member. So, and they were going to be doing direct supervision, which is probably, in your mind, crossing the line a little bit too much. If you're selling candy or selling tickets uh, or something to that sense, that's probably a different scenario. Depends on the facts of the yep. case. Yep. Again, yep. we cannot say one way or the other. But okay. certainly reading a Dr. Seuss book is okay. Okay. Uh, let's move on to, uh, you know, looking back a few years ago, you made the Martinez versus Abilino. We're going to get into personnel matters. Just explain what that ruling was because I think that was kind of a change in philosophy for both uh, for the School Ethics Commission. Well, uh, I was new to the commission at the time that uh, Martinez versus Abellino was adopted. But and from what I understand, prior to that decision, uh, there was a distinction between uh, inside and outside and whether or not a board member who, who knew the particular candidate could vote for them or not vote for them. And there was a great deal of confusion. And, um, and so there needed to be some some direction that was struck, and that was Martinez versus Avelina, which said that whether you know the candidate or you don't know the candidate, if you have a conflict, you have a conflict. It, it precedes you. It follows you. It, it applies in whatever activity you expect to uh, undertake as a board member. That conflict changes what you can do, including voting. So there... That's that's the um, the rubric from which the rest of this springs. And defining conflict means that you have a, a family member uh, who works in your district. Well, it could be a family member. It could be it could be uh, you have a, a business. Any kind of anything that creates the conflict. Um, so yeah, a conflict generally it does arise 
in personnel matters. But um, but yeah, I'm not going to foreclose the, the commission's opportunity to look at other aspects of that. Right. All right. Uh, and you define uh, family member would be an in-law. I'm talking within a district uh, or son, spouse, daughter. Well, husband. you know. Right. There's a, you know, as, as the nepotism law came about in the state of New Jersey, uh, our uh, definition of relative uh, expanded with that. And we felt that we as a commission had to be uh, very concerned about what the state was uh, giving to all the school districts that we had to uh, to adjust to that as well. So now from um uh, some early uh, interpretations of that, which uh, started out in 1992, was a relative of the uh, meant what was the IRS standard of that. It mm -hmm. certainly expanded, and uh, uh, and now uh, as the uh, nepotism law says uh, that it involves an individual spouse or individual uh, or spouse parent, child, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, niece, a nephew, grandparent. Grandchild, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, step-parent, step-child, step-brother, step-sister, half-brother or sister, whether the relative is related to the individual or the individual's uh, spouse by blood, marriage, or adoption. So that really expanded uh, that. And we as a commission really felt that we, we had to uh, uh, base our uh, advisories and all based upon that uh, uh, which was uh, directed by the Department of Education, and that's what we did. So that that really did change a lot of things, and um, we felt we had to be consistent with that, and uh, and that's part of what we're uh, we're doing right now. So uh, that really changed a lot of things. So when the state uh, uh, started with the change with the nepotism policy, you uh, followed suit and expanded your definition too. We felt we, we had to do that. I mean, if, if you're given direction to districts uh, and, you know, that that's something, you know, that uh, that we had to follow suit. That, and it's now, the law. Yeah. And also on the other side, it's not just a relative. It's a, in previous years, uh, if the relative was a substitute teacher or a, a summer worker or a power professional, that may not have been a conflict, but it seems to me that pretty much if someone's getting a, 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 a paycheck, is employed in any way by the school district, you would perceive that as a, a conflict in terms of participating in the superintendent evaluation and in a search. Yeah. 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 The law, I mean, the law doesn't say it. it, it there, there is a conflict for a 10-month employee, but there isn't a conflict for a summer employee. The law is the law is the law. Okay. Uh, and also, let's define participation. Um, because uh, in terms of the search process, would you say that by participation you mean they don't sit in on any of the interviews, uh, they don't really uh, attend any of the read through the resumes, and they don't vote? Every activity, every activity relevant to that process, they are precluded from engaging in, including the vote. Including the vote, okay. Yep. Beginning with advertising. Beginning with advertising, right. 
We have a recent one. That is correct. We have a recent one that said even advertising. Oh, uh, they're not a part of the uh, establishing uh, criteria. No. And, nope. Okay. And also, uh, so if you're if it's the board president who's conflicted, they don't appoint a committee to look at this or to vote on the search consultant or anything like that, right? He's conflicted. Okay. So you're conflicted throughout the entire process. Yes, yeah. and that, that's the clear clear part of it. And, and believe me, as a as a commission, uh, we also are trying to do those things which make it clear to uh, school board members and administrators about how they can operate. And uh, uh, it's it's not to be the opposite way. It's actually to make it um, uh, certain as to uh, what they can do and what they can't do. I guess the thing is this: is that some people don't like to hear that. And, uh, you know, and that's understandable as well. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, our, our, our duty is to uh, instill the public trust in, in, in the operation of school districts throughout the state. And uh, it's not for the benefit of, uh, uh, you know, of individual board members or their families or whatever. It's, it's really for what is good for kids. And that's what it should be. And sometimes when we deal with issues here at the School Ethics Commission and we have hearings and things, uh, very often we hear nothing about kids. It's all about, you know, individuals. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with kids. And, and I, I think the, the focus of everything that we do, whether here at this commission, whether what, what school boards are doing, has to be on what is good for kids. And, uh, okay. yeah, the public trust. Uh, just uh, transitioning on that, so I, th I think you're pretty consistent in saying that if you can't participate in the search process, uh, you don't participate in all, almost any activity involving, the, say, the superintendent, uh, you wouldn't be participating in the superintendent evaluation. That's correct. So That's correct. So, And that led to uh, some districts, I think, with the doctrine of necessity where they uh, – tried to use the doctrine of necessity, but they still had four members who were not conflicted, and you felt the valuation of the four board members would be sufficient because if you can't participate in the beginning, you can't shouldn't be participating in anything. Is that the – am I reading that, that correctly? Correct. That is correct. Uh, what happens if there's a whole board is conflicted or only one or two board members? That might be a little bit dicey. Say one or – say it's a nine-member board. Is that is there a number that it goes down to, or you know, if you can't participate, you can't participate. This is this is a developing area, mm -hmm. and the commission has not fully uh, decided uh, what what the remedy for some situation like that is. So they are expecting to issue revised regs sometime in 2016. Oh, okay, and. and uh, and that should all be fleshed out at that point. I know it seems like a long time away, but um, it's not a small issue, and, and nobody uh, wants to interfere with the process except that we just have to remember that the process answers to the public. And and so in that regard, the, the commission will look at doctrine necessity again and again and again because it, it's important uh, how boards vote and how um, how decisions are made 
for the public and, trust. And also, uh, I guess, as you stated a couple times, or I think Bob uh, stated it, uh, these advisory opinions are specific to that situation also, to that district or individual. Where it feels that it has general application, mm -hmm. six, members of the, uh, six members of the commission will vote to make it public. Okay. All right, let's uh, discuss a little bit collective negotiations because that's another area, like with superintendent, it's pretty much the in-district um, relations, whether it's a family member or someone outside of it. Um, if a board member has a relative who is a, a teacher in, a, in another district, what's their participation level and what's the? how would you define relative or family member so because it's sometimes not even a family member. It could be someone that they live with also. Well, again, that's, uh, that's uh, fact-sensitive. If you're living with somebody, uh, that, that really uh, is a contribution uh, uh, to the, uh, the rent or the uh, mortgage. Uh, you know, just, just what extent does that take place? And, again, that, that is very fact-sensitive. Um, so... Uh, again, we have to look at each case, at every inf a bit of information that is given to us. And uh, sometimes, although we try to be very clear with uh, our decision to make it uh, applicable uh, to most situations, we still have these things that get, get thrown to us, and we have to take it uh, individually. Um, the uh, Well, the in-district, out-of-district, I know that's probably um, – the question you have right now? Yeah, I, I would think more out of district. Say, uh, I, I know on A3-15, uh, you ruled about a board member's sister-in-law that they shouldn't be participating in negotiations because they have a sister-in-law in another school district. Uh, so that would seem to indicate to me that if you have a relative who's a NJEA member, you probably shouldn't be participating in negotiations. Okay. And the sister-in-law falls under... The nepotism law definition. All I'm right. So sure, I'm not sure everybody is aware of all that's included within that nepotism law now, right? Okay. In speaking with with more and more board members, I'm coming to that realization. And so that nepotism law changed the school ethics commission, as we said before. We'll just we're going to repeat it ourselves a little bit to change your philosophy as to what the connections are from what it was in the mid-90s to what it oh, is yeah, now. It was, uh, well, yeah, it expanded. In 2005, when that came about, uh, that changed, uh, well, expanded. Uh, it expanded, and, you know, the, at the heart of that, Ray, is union affiliation. Right. I mean, I could be working in my district, um, in which one union, one collective bargaining unit, is represented by one union. The, the, the neighboring collective bargaining unit out of district is the same co unit, the same union that represents uh, the staff members there. That's the key. And this goes back to our cases in the 90s about one collective bargaining unit benefiting another. And it's an affiliate from which all concerned could gain if allowed to continue that way through negotiation. And, and I think school board members would uh, would say too when they sit down and 
discuss collective bargaining with their employees that there's a comparison between other districts oh, yeah. and uh, that have an impact upon what they do. Of course. Uh, and uh, whether it be uh, working conditions, whether it be salary increases, either to get them or not to get them, uh, how to, uh, you know, uh, their involvement in uh, their, their other aspects of their contract are very much relative to what uh, other districts are getting. I mean, that's a, always been an argument point. Sure. So, uh, you know. Yeah, and that would probably, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, you also made a ruling that the, in this case, the, N the AFT and the NJEA, while they're not the same affiliate, are, are pretty much uh, they have the same uh, goals. Uh, so, if you're a union member or you have a family member who's a union member in one, and your district has another, there's still the same conflict as if they were both in the same union. Look, when you when you enter negotiations, what do both sides do? The first thing they do is take out the settlement rates for the county and the statewide settlement rates, and they use that as a basis from which to start their negotiations. And I think uh, when you take a look at uh, AFT versus uh, NJEA or whatever, you're basically talking about either a Macintosh apple or a, a Gala. You know, it's ba basically it's an apple. Okay. And with that, I mean, some uh, districts have other union affiliations. Uh, you know, sometimes there's a, a Teamster, CWA. Would that probably hold true too? Then, if cause their their goals probably are very similar. Again, we're, the commission has not been faced with that yet, okay. so uh, they're not able to speak about it. Okay. Uh, you also had a um, – I thought it was an interesting A1913 uh, where a, uh, you have municipal employees on the, school, on the school board and teachers on the town council, uh, and you felt that there would be a conflict there, which is going back to our union um, – affiliation a little bit. Could you explain that ruling a little bit? Oh, we love we love these. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody is doing everything. Everybody's wearing different hats, same hats. Um, uh, Mark, do you want to take Bob? Oh, okay. I think the feeling is that where where there is crossover that creates mm -hmm. a conflict. A nineteen thirteen. Yeah, that's the municipal employees on the board. Themselves from negotiation discussions and voting on teacher contracts when a member of the teaching staff covered by those matters is a local town council member and the board members are employed by the municipality governed by the council. Well, I mean, I can I can speak firsthand over the years. For example. Um, school budget goes down. School district needs to go to the local um, mayor and board of school estimate with regard to budget cuts and request that the cuts which were voted down be restored. I mean, certainly how can a member of the council, who's also a teacher in the district, uh, be expected to objectively address that topic? that person is being compensated by the very district that they're now making a decision on with regard to the future budget. 
that clearly is a conflict. We've also had issues where, uh, where, where they're going to build a school in the uh, community or whether to build a school or not, or whether to put lights on a municipal f uh, field that would also be used by the school district. These are all things that, again, are specifically uh, fact-related, but uh, you should not have crossovers in that regard. And it also goes to your previous statement about the public perception uh, as being something that you look at also. Right. That, that's true. Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, just to take that one step further, Ray, I mean, you have a teacher who sits on a town council, and and now that person is going to be asked uh, to restore funds and then to go back into the district and reap the benefits of whatever salary negotiations may occur with those additional funds. If that isn't a okay. conflict, I don't know what is. Okay. And one other thing, uh, I just got a question on our uh in our chat room, and I, I, I was neglecting asking this, when we say uh, in negotiations that you shouldn't be participating, let's define participation. Uh, it used to be in the past you could vote on the memorandum of agreement after everything's all the T's yeah. have been crossed and I's dotted. Do you still vote if you have that conflict, whether it's a spouse or whether it's another relative? You mean the Panucci matter? Yeah, I think that's that, that's, that's gone. That's history. That's gone. Yeah. There's no so, there's no no, it's you're you're conflicted now, then as long as you sit. Oh, uh, and we should know uh also we talked about you having your advisory opinions on uh, your website. You do mark the ones that uh like Panucci that you have uh Superseded. More recent advisory opinions uh, mm -hmm. superseded, so people yep. should be a little judicious when they go through those. You just did that. Yeah, we're going to do a little bit more of that because we we, we don't want to mislead the membership uh, into thinking things still operate as they had, and so we're, we're definitely uh, we just did that with Panucci and, and a number of the other ones. So uh, yeah, there, there'll be more of that. And they should look at they should look at the chronological list um, first because it's easier just to scan that. When they see something in red, they know that that's a flag. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Hey, Ray, I, I can tell you right now that the, the the idea here of this commission is not in any way to mislead, uh, but uh, as anything else, uh, certain opinions have evolved through the years and different commission members and so on. So therefore. Uh, Sometimes uh, they become more restrictive, uh, but that's that that's how things operate. Uh, we, I, I think, constantly are looking to make things clearer, to have some type of a, a bright line interpretation of things, so that um, school board members who really want to operate under you know uh, in a correct manner may do so and feel comfortable with that. Um, but that's that's what happens. Uh, there there have been some evolving of uh, interpretations of that, and um, I think right now the commission is in, in a situation where if people go to the website, uh, they will be able to see that, and and we encourage the board members to do that homework. Uh, we've been getting some um, advisories, particularly uh, uh, where. Uh, it, it's very obvious that there, no homework was done. It's just like uh, asking questions that have already been uh, done many times or answered many times, and uh, 
and we just say refer to this, this, and this. But that should right. be done before they even you know, contact us. I have one quick question uh, on administrators' participation. I forgot to ask you this one. Uh, A4314, uh, uh, the superintendent had a non-dependent daughter who was uh, re- was not a union member, but was uh, uh, but did uh, work in the school district. You said they couldn't participate in the the negotiations at the table. Which going back, if someone had a spouse or anything, that's nothing new. Can they still be a technical uh, provide technical information, not at the board table, but in the back room, where someone wants to know with this? help our students because they're usually no. the only ones who have the advice the, the local BA or the superintendent that's then that's correct and that should be the only one okay yeah, the, te- the technical uh, exception is probably not operational right now based on the oh. based on the commission's uh, right. right because uh, there's a perception and and so the superintendent so conflicted, or anyone so conflicted, regardless of what their uh, expertise is, uh, is prohibited from participating. Period. And that's oh, okay. also, that's a revised one, uh, Ray. That was uh, way back where we said that was the only time that they could actually come in there. And now we're saying again, a bright line decision is that no, if you're conflicted, you're conflicted. All right, so a district would probably, uh, I guess, have to get someone else to be their technical advisor on negotiations. Uh, If if their administration is conflicted, I'm sorry. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, All right, well, actually, I ran out of time. (laughs) Thank you for the opportunity, Ray. I I do want to thank Robert Bender uh, and Mark Finkelstein and Joanne Restivo. Uh, I know they wanted to reach out to our membership to let them know, and, and the school administrators to try to clear some of the air. And I think if our members uh, take some of their advice to look at the advisory opinions and probably discuss them as a board uh, to see where their conflicts are, if there are any. Um, so uh, I'd like to thank the three of you. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, Ray. Ray. Okay, and that brings us to the end of this program. <laughs>